Well, guys, if we're going to talk about this thing called family, this thing called marriage, this thing called community, we've got to start with this thing called love. It all starts with love. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36. The greatest commandment ever given. The most important thing about life. Love God and love others. Notice what it says. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The Pharisees testing him in this area, trying to make him fall. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's talk about this thing called true love. What is true love? Well, first of all, I think true love is a love that stays in love. We learn that from Philippians chapter 2, living out this thing called love, this others-focused mentality. It's not about my claustrophobic little world. It's about others. I'm choosing to love you till death do us part. True love is also a love that shows a daily commitment to each other's happiness. Again, this is an others-focused mentality. I have your best interest at mind. When's the last time what you did was based on others and not yourself? True love is also a love that wants to do what the other person enjoys. Again, this other-focused mentality. True love is a love that grants space when needed. Now, guys, this is something that I have to learn. See, I'm one of these guys that when there's a conflict, I want it resolved yesterday. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to have to process it anymore. I want it resolved. But see, my wife is not that kind of person. I know that this is going to surprise you, but sometimes in that 800 square feet, living out on your parking lot, things aren't always honky-dory. Sometimes things get a little messy, usually my fault. Well, not too long ago, we were having a conversation, and I had done something. I don't even remember what it was, one of many. I had done something that had hurt my wife. And it was obvious that she was upset with me, so my questions began to happen. Tell me what's going on. What's the matter? What have I done? And I'm just probing her, right? And her response to me as she's walking up the stairs, and I'm following her up the stairs. We have stairs in that thing. Can you believe it? Okay, there are two steps. But anyway, so she walks up the two steps, and she slides our sliding door closed, and I open it back up. So tell me what's going on. Her response to me was, if you want this to go well, you will walk away and close the door. <laughs> See, what she needed was time to process. She's a crockpot person. I'm a microwave person. Let's deal with it. Let's get it done. And then I can go on and function. Well, she needs time to process it and to work through it. And, and so I have to be willing to give her space. Even though I want it worked out now, an other's focus, a love that gives rather than wants to get all the time, is a love that says, I'll give you your time. I'm here when you're ready. True love is also a love that knows the other person's weakness, knows the other person's weaknesses, and doesn't disadvantage them or doesn't take advantage of their weakness. 
This means the person is more important than the issue. The person is more important than the issue. Not only do they know the other person's weakness, but they also celebrate the other's strengths. You know that God made you that way? Imagine, if you will, for me just a moment. Your, my left hand represents your spouse. My right hand, right hand represents you. Your spouse has weaknesses. The webs of my fingers are the weaknesses of your spouse. The fingertips are their strengths. Well, you also have weaknesses, the webs. You have strengths, the fingertips. And what God desires is for you to come together so that your strengths counteract their weakness and their strengths counteract your weakness. It's God's natural design. True love is also a love that shares feelings with honesty and sensitivity. I like calling this willing to be hot. Honest, open, and transparent. Guys, do you realize, men, specifically you, ladies will usually be very open and transparent unless we've shot them down so much they're afraid to be. But men, sometimes we're not willing to be honest, open, and transparent. And the reason we're not willing to be up honest, open, and transparent is because we're filled with this ugly thing called pride. And we're not willing to be vulnerable. And because we're not willing to be vulnerable, we put up these walls and we don't let other people in. When we do that, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Because see, it's more important to be reconciled than to be right. More important to be reconciled than to be right. Have you ever tried to communicate with someone that always has to be right? Think about it, guys. If someone has to be wrong and someone has to be right, then someone still goes to bed with a loser. Never thought about that, did you? True love is a love that demonstrates trustworthiness. Your spouse needs to know trust. Now, will there be times in your life where you tear down the trust walls? Yes, there will. But you come to them with a heart of, of transparency and a heart of repentance. And you seek forgiveness and then you begin to build those walls all over again. True love is a love that believes the best of each other. This is where you're choosing to assume the best rather than assuming the worst. The question that you want to ask yourself is, is your spouse basically a good-willed person? Meaning, is their intent to cause you harm? Most of the time, no, not at all. And that goes when you're having a conversation with somebody else that's not your spouse. Is their basic intent to cause you harm? And the answer is most of the time, no, not at all. So don't filter their conversations through that. Don't automatically assume the worst. So many times we do that. So let's talk about this thing called marriage, the covenant of marriage. What is, it, what is a covenant? When we talk about that word covenant, what do we actually mean? Well, the word covenant actually means to cut. 
it implies the intermingling of blood so that it can never be separated again. Let me help you understand that. You remember the Abrahamic covenant. God is creating this covenant with Abraham, and he tells Abraham to take animals, cut them in half, and separate them. And what would happen in the initiation of a covenant, they would take these animals, they would cut them, separate them in half, and then the people would walk in a figure eight symbol or infinity symbol through the covenant. And what they're essentially saying is if I were to break any of this covenant, may the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals. What they're saying is that as these as these animals gave their life, their bloods began to intermingle together. And once they were intermingled, they can never be taken apart again. Who has the right to break a covenant? The only person that has the right is God. And God doesn't break a covenant. He doesn't break His word. We have began to devalue this thing called covenant. It's an unconditional, unbreakable agreement. Listen to me carefully. When you married your spouse, you entered into a covenant. But listen to me carefully. Don't miss this. When you joined Meadowbrook Baptist Church as a church member, you joined a covenant. You entered into a covenant which means, let's fast forward five years from now, and Lord forbid things aren't going on at Meadowbrook Baptist Church quite like you like in your claustrophobic little world, population one, and you decide you want to leave and go to another church. You don't have the right. Some time ago, things weren't going quite like we wanted at our church, and everything inside of us wanted to leave. My wife begged me. She pleaded with me in tears, Please let us leave. I am miserable. I wake up every Sunday and I dread it. I don't want to go to church. And my response had to be the same. Baby, God hasn't released us. And I would cry with her because I wanted to leave as well, but I couldn't. Why? Because God hadn't released us. Now, my wife will come back to me today and she'll thank me for that decision. We didn't leave and God began to bless our ministry. And God began to bless the church. And we have very deep roots in that church now. And why wouldn't I leave? Because I realized we were in a covenant. And I realized that I didn't join the church because of me. It wasn't about me. It was about God putting me there for the purpose of His glory. Meaning He had something He wanted me to do there. He didn't want me to go sit on a pew and be fed. Though that was part of it. He wanted me to go and find a spot to serve. So if you're a member of Meadowbrook Baptist Church and you're not serving, listen to me, you're missing God's blessing. You're missing why God put you here. And let's just say, Lord forbid, one day Brother David starts singing a song that you don't like. Or maybe Brother David starts leading the church to play some music that beats a little bit too fast for you. And you decide, I'm leaving because they're playing that music. And I don't like it. You better ask God first. Because it's not about you. Now, will God move you? He may. Let's say God blesses this church and y'all create a church plant. And God says, all right, I want you to leave here and go be a part of that church plant. God will do that. He'll change your ministry. But if you're leaving because you're not happy, you better make sure you're right in the center of God's will.
That was free. And your pastor didn't ask me to say it. All righty. So let's talk about this marriage by definition. What is a marriage? Now, this is going to be a long definition, okay? Number one, it's a holy covenant. Meaning you can't just walk away from it without God's permission. Let no man separate what God has brought together. It's initiated by God, meaning God designed it. It's conditioned on an irrevocable promise. It's conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness. My wife and I have been married 20 years. Can I tell you a secret? We're still pursuing oneness. Do we have this thing called marriage figured out? Not at all. With an imperfect person. Can I tell you a secret? God let you marry a sinner. Matter of fact, God let you marry sandpaper. Your wife or your husband, they're your sandpaper. Why in the world did he give you sandpaper? Because he wants to rub off the things that don't look like him in you. And he uses your spouse to do that. My goodness, she's mighty coarse. That's because you need coarse sandpaper. Of the opposite sex. Don't make me go there. For a lifetime. Why in the world would God create this picture? It's the same reason He draws and paints with great artistic ability every picture for the purpose of His glory. Your marriage, your relationship with each other, your membership in this church, your relationship with your children, your workplace, the horrible, horrible, horrible storm that you're in the middle of right now. Why does it all exist for the purpose of God's glory? Do you realize how much easier storms would be, the horrible circumstances of life would be, if we realized they were for the purpose of the glory of God? Many times the storm is God's grace. Because if it weren't for the storm, we wouldn't change. Do you know storms bring changes? Praise God for the storms. So what is a vow? What is a vow? A vow is an irrevocable promise. It's a pledge or a personal commitment. It means that I'm binding myself. It means I'm doing this no matter what. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in full, strong word that God uses there. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Guys, we have treated vows so casually. We've gone gone into this idea of relationship thinking if it doesn't work out, I'll just call it off. We wonder why I'm going to make some of you unhappy. Tell me you love me. Mean it next time. We, 
We get so upset when our children get married and then a year later they break it off and they get a divorce when we let them spend the last 10 years of their life dating, practicing divorce. We let them spend a six months to a year of their life with somebody just to see if they like them and if they don't we just tell them don't worry about it just call it off you're not married to them we just taught them what divorce looks like and we're okay with it here's some wedding vows to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part. 19 years ago on a Saturday, February the, or 20 years ago, 20 years ago on a Saturday, February the 18th, 11 o'clock in the morning, I stood in front of people and God and I made vows very similar to these. In the months and the years since that day, have you thought back on the vows that you made to your spouse? When's the last time you thought about the vows and the commitments that you made? See, we have a tendency to forget or not even think about our wedding vows, even though our wedding day is one of the most important days of our lives. Have you ever counted how many ifs there are in a wedding vow? Let me help you, there's zero. I promise today to love you if you treat me like I want to be treated. I promise to love you today if you keep your attractive figure after bearing seven children. honor and to hold from this day forward for better for worse for richer for poor in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part see on our wedding day all of us made a solemn promise a vow to our spouse to persevere in the presence of God in the presence of several family members no matter what we told our spouse that we decided ahead of time that we would love them no matter what the future would hold you ever thought about that regarding your spouse I made a commitment to you on that day that said forever. See, on your wedding day, there was no way of you knowing what the future would hold, what challenges you would face, what circumstances would bring, which hardships you would face. Nevertheless, we pledged this decided ahead of time love that we would not quit when those changes and those challenges and those storms came. 1 Corinthians 7, 28. Can I tell you they'll come? It says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I, th- I find it interesting that God didn't choose to, wor- to use the word possibly, might, could. He said will. He said you will. So what can you learn about the state of many marriages today? If we're going to find out about what's going on in marriages today, where do you think we're going to look? I've already taught you Google. That's the way you find out. You Google things. So here's a Google search on this thing called marriage. What if we were to type in the word, my husband, my husband. Google has this autocomplete function, which means when you Google something, when you start typing, it automatically completes it for you based on what other people have typed in, right? Okay, it's called an autocomplete function. So I type in the word my husband, and this is what comes up. My husband is annoying. That means other people have typed that before me. My husband hates me. 
Guys, I just lost my, my feed. Can you help me out just a second? How about my husband doesn't love me? My husband is a jerk. My husband ignores me. My husband cheated on me. My husband is an alcoholic. What if we were to type in my marriage? My marriage is falling apart. My marriage is in trouble. My marriage is over. My marriage is failing. My marriage was a mistake. What if I were to type in the words, how can I get my wife? How can I get my wife to love me again? How can I get my wife in the mood? How can I get my wife to trust me again? How about if I were to type, how can I get my husband? How can I get my husband to fall in love with me again? How can I get my husband to be more affectionate? How can I get my husband to help around the house? How can I get my husband to want me? How can I get my husband to be more romantic? How can I get my husband back? You know that, that autocomplete started out pretty funny. And then it went downhill from there. This is just one piece of the picture of marriages today. But it's enough to show us Many people are looking for help for their marriages and for their families. So let's start off with these wedding vows. For better or for worse, over the past 20 years, there's been times that I didn't feel like Lee was loving me or respecting me the way that I wanted to be respected. And unfortunately, way too many times to count, I would return to her what she was giving to me or vice versa. Yet on that wedding, wedding day, I vowed this decided ahead of time love to love her for better or for worse. I promised that I would love her as long as we both shall live, no matter what. And guys, think about it. It wasn't just my wife and other people that day that was hearing those vows. God was there as well. God God loves us unconditionally because of the cross, and He calls us to, to love others unconditionally as well. May I reflect the love of God as I love my wife with this decided ahead of time love for her, not only in the good times, but also in the less than enjoyable seasons. It means, guys, that you're willing to love her in the particular time of the month when she doesn't seem real lovable. Ladies, it means that you're willing to love him at that particular time of the month when he doesn't seem lovable. You mean he's moody as well? Oh, yeah. Guys, I know that's a shock to you, but you got to cycle just like she does. It may mean loving your spouse during seasons of discouragement or depression when they're not really lovable. It may mean loving your spouse with a Hosea-like love through periods when your spouse may be living in rebellion against you and against God. I will stay married to you as long as you do this or you don't do that. That's not what God called us to. How about for richer or for poor? Does anybody know what the top three issues in marriage is? 
Finances, sex, how you raise your kids. You're mostly right. Top three issues in marriage. Money, sex, and in-laws. <laughs> Tell you a story. There's a married couple who were in a very terrible accident, and the woman's face was burned so severely that the doctors couldn't do anything to help her face. And so they were going to do a skin graft on her face. But her body was so severely burnt, there was no skin valuable enough or undamaged enough to use. And so her, her husband, however, did have some skin that wasn't burnt enough, um, that wasn't burnt bad enough. And the only area of his body that wasn't burnt bad enough was his tukish. And so they took part of his hiney and skin graft onto her face to repair her face. She went through the surgery. She came out absolutely beautiful. Her skin was as soft as a baby's bottom. And so she began to receive all of these compliments. Now, the, the husband said this, told the doctors, and everybody involved, we never speak of this again. I don't want anybody to know that this procedure was what saved my wife's face. And she never talked about it. He never talked about it. And one day, they were having a conversation and she said, Honey, I want you to know, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you were willing to make to give me part of your skin to surgically repair my face. She says, people just compliment me every day that I'm so much more beautiful now than I was then. And he said, honey, you don't need to thank me at all. I receive thanks enough every time your mother comes over and kisses you on your cheek. <laughs> now, nine out of ten... Nine out of ten arguments are focused around finances. Let me go ahead and get the word sex off of the screen because the men can't even focus right now. <laughs> and most of it is around communication because a man may have a different understanding about finances than his wife has or a wife may have a different understanding. Now, many of us want to be tested in this area of riches. Oh, Lord, test me in the riches, right? But don't test me in the poor. See, we believe that being richer would make things better in our marriages. But I tell you what, guys, riches carry their own set of issues. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. More money does not always equal more happiness. Whatever God has entrusted us to, we have to be willing to trust God with it. How about in sickness and in health? For those of us who get married at a fairly young age, this vow probably has very little value, means very little to us. But let me ask you, would the spouse who participated in many extracurricular activities with you when you were young like running and hiking and biking and golfing and skiing and softball or maybe the person who enjoyed passionate physical intimacy with you when you were young, will they find us just as loving when she needs a walker or when he needs daily care because he's plagued with Alzheimer's? 
You see, guys, in our what's-in-it-for-me culture, we've bought into this idea it's so easy to go and find satisfaction from somebody else when our spouse no longer provides it for us. Why in the world would we do that? Because we live in these claustrophobic little worlds, population one. And when our needs are no longer satisfied, we go look somewhere else. There's a couple in our church named Gina and Philip. Gina was a, is a lovely woman. She would clean our house when we lived in Dothan. And we asked her to clean our house for a particular reason. Because we knew as she cleaned it, she would pray over every square inch. That's what she does. And so we asked her to clean our house. And her husband, Philip, is a man's man. Big, huge guy, Harley motorcycle, leather, big, boofy beard that makes me have a beard envy, you know. Um, just a man's man, old coon hunter, just a guy. Well, Philip came down with a disease known as ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And his body began to waste away, and slowly this man's man became isolated to a wheelchair. He could no longer take care of himself anymore. It got to where he couldn't feed himself anymore. It got to where he couldn't lift his own head. He couldn't even feed him. He couldn't even speak. Every day, Gina would go home for two or three hours in the day, and she would feed him. She would change his diaper, change his, the bed sheets, and take care of him. Gina understood in sickness and in health. And Miss Gina was one of these ladies that just blows your mind. I remember... Right before we were getting ready to go on the road, this was December of 2013, Philip passed away, and we're attending his funeral. And we're in that big, long line, waiting to go and shake Miss Gina's hand and to love on her. Miss Gina's standing up on the, first, on the per, first pew facing the casket, and I'm waiting my turn, and Lee's behind me, and I turn that turn and I come down to Gina and I stand in front of her and I grab her by the hand and Miss Gina's first words to me were this oh Shane how are you and Lee doing now we go to church together and I said I began to weep and I said Gina you, you've lost your husband and your first words to me are oh Shane how are you doing and she goes, Shane, I know that you guys are getting ready to take your family on the road and you're trying to pack your house up and you're trying to get the trailer ready. I know that you're in a season of great transition. I genuinely want to know how you're doing. You see, Miss Gina was an others-focused person. The most desperate day of her life wasn't about her. It was about the glory of her king. She modeled for better or for worse, no matter the circumstances. A decided ahead of time love through all the seasons of marriage, good or bad, sick or well. How about to love and to cherish till death do us part? Christ gave us an unconditional love. When Christ loves us, there are no ifs. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can your spouse live with a similar assurance? Can you say to your spouse, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Several years ago, Lee heard me make that vow to her. I promised to love her with this predetermined love until the Lord calls one of us or both of us home. And as a reminder to me, she bought me this little plaque that used to sit on top of our mantle. 
at home in our living room. Now it sits over our window. It's Velcroed to the wall. Yep, when you live in a trailer, you Velcro things to the wall. It's Velcroed to our wall, and that little bitty plaque says this, forever and for always. She's reminding me that no matter what, I'm in it to the end. Now listen to me. Some of you in here are struggling. I understand that. This thing called community is hard. God brought two imperfect people together to live under one roof. And sometimes you just don't like them. Sometimes you want to take them out. We will only be able to live in community as God called us to live when Christ is the center of the community. And it no longer becomes about my little claustrophobic world, but it becomes about others. Let me give you some action steps. Will you in the next week or so, if you're still married, will you surprise your spouse by arranging for the times of you to sit down and go through your wedding album together. Now, for some of you, it may be a wedding CD, okay? You don't even know what an album is, all right? Or will you remind your spouse as best you can remember of your wedding vows that day? Will you tell them that you meant those vows then and that you still mean them today? As coffee talk as you live out this thing called community with each other, will you answer the question, which vows seem to be easily forgotten and taken for granted in our society today? Which ones do you take for granted?